Welcome to the weekly Retail Politics Podcast, where we bring you one download at a time, the information you need to ensure your government functions the way you want it to. I'm your host, Jerry Shields, and today we will focus on the politics of Michigan, the state that could decide Tuesday, November 3rd's colossal presidential election. Today, my guest is M.L. Elric, the Pulitzer Prize winning reporter for the Detroit Free Press. Hello, Mike, and welcome to the program. Jerry, it's a pleasure to be with you. Uh, you you made more impact on my journalism career than uh, than the internet uh, and the differences. <laughs> Your impact was all positive, whereas the internet is basically uh, led to some pay cuts. So thank you. Okay. Thank you so well, much. The check, the check is in the mail, buddy. Uh, thanks for being with us. Uh, let's get to it. Well, they say the state of California grows more nuts than any other in the union, but I think Michigan may have captured that crown during this election season. We had the uh, kidnapping plot on your Democratic governor. We had a court ruling forcing Republicans to remove their own ballot collection boxes. And my favorite Michigan election story was the woman who put a toilet on her lawn with a five-foot sandwich board sign encouraging voters to put their ballots in the toilet bowl. Seems like a fitting representation of this wacky race, but I'm a little worried that these are the people who may decide who our next president will be. Well, that 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 uh, that toilet one that makes me wonder if that's some sort of commentary on proposal two. But yeah, Michigan's a different kind of place. We, um, I heard you talking the other day about uh, Pennsylvania being, you know, east west coast and Alabama in the middle. We're we're kind of the opposite. We're we're sort of Philadelphia and Pittsburgh in the southern part of the state, and then Alabama, not too far north of here. Yes, and uh, the big story in your state was that plot to kidnap Democratic Governor Gretchen Whitmer. Uh, you've been on the ground covering that story very thoroughly. Tell us about it. Well, we have a bunch of people who, uh, it's safe to say, don't trust the government. And uh, I think the irony here is, you know, they believe in the deep state, uh, but here they are acting like some deep staters themselves, sending messages amongst themselves through an encrypted apps and and doing some uh, some surveillance and getting night vision goggles. And one guy even said he was ready to paint the bottom of his boat black so they could take the governor from her, uh, from her vacation home. And then another one of the conspirators allegedly said, well, then we're just going to put her in a boat and we won't, we won't kill her. We'll just put her in, a, in the middle of Lake Michigan and we'll see how she does. So, <laughs> you know, it, it makes me, Think back to the old Monty Python, where if she floats, I guess she's a witch. I don't know where they were going with that, but uh, but they got caught. And supposedly, if they hadn't got caught, this would all be going down as we speak. Um, I spent some time in in the courtroom with with these guys, and as you often see with with tough guys, once they get in the courtroom, they they come in meek as lambs. But uh, if we're to believe the feds, they were serious about possibly killing the governor, maybe blowing up some police and trying to take over our state capital where, believe it or not, you are within your right to bring any kind of weapon just about you want. So uh, we are, we, California, yeah, you may have some nuts, but uh, but uh, we got the hard shells here. Now, how many people was it, Mike? How many people were involved in this? Well, that's that's one of those things where the answer today 
Uh, I think initially would have been 12, then it was 13, and they charged another guy, brought him up to 14. But I suspect, as, as, as I think we both know, when they start talking to these fellas, they're going to give up some more people, and this thing is going to expand. And by the time we're done, I would think each one of these guys has somebody else they'd much rather see prosecuted than them. So <laughs> it wouldn't surprise me if we get up to two dozen before we're done. Um, of course, the feds might not charge all of them because it's tough to make a case with that many defendants. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. some of these guys are going through federal court. Some are going through state court. And I think we are nowhere near the bottom of this thing. And now uh, this is where you found out where your friends are, you know, <laughs> when, they go, when they go before the uh, for their judges. How long was this plot, you know, put together? How long, did, how long ago did it start, do you think? Well, it, from, from what we've heard so far, from uh, from uh, things the feds have put in the in the public domain and what's been said in court, they started working on this um, uh, months ago, and uh, I, I want to say that they may have been in communication in 2019, but clearly after the the governor issued her executive orders, basically shutting down the state for its own good, that's when this got really energized, and so at least since March. They've been talking about doing something and, and bringing some more people into the circle. But, uh, but some of these guys have been what you would call, um, uh, I guess our governor would call them domestic terrorists. Some people would call them militia members. I call them self-appointed militia members because unlike the Minutemen who were pretty well accepted and sanctioned, these are the guys who decided, no, we're going to save you even if we don't really feel like we need saving. That's interesting. So, I mean, were these guys dumb and dumber or could this have really happened? Well, you know, the reason why they were in the headlines recently was not because of Nobel Prize awards, you know. <laughs> no scholarships given yeah, out no, to No, no, no. These, these guys, they paid full tuition. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but and, and, you know, didn't even get any free books. But, um, but they, uh, you know, these are, these are guys who for the most part are kind of on the fringe. You know, these are people who kind of a little bit countrified, um, a lot of beards, not that there's anything wrong with beards, but, um, when you look at, you know, one guy's living in the basement of a vacuum repair shop, another mm-hmm. two brothers are, you know, it's like a bad, uh, uh, SCTV skit, you know, this blowed up real good out there in the country. And, um, and when they tried to create some IEDs, improvised explosive devices, they didn't quite blow up like they'd hoped they would. Um, you know, they love the guns, uh, love their camo, like to play a little bit of army, but, um, but this was not SEAL Team 6. <laughs> Osama would still be watching porn if they sent these guys into Pakistan to get him. Uh, but what does it say? I mean, I remember, and I think I've used this a couple of times, people saying that we have a Hatfield-McCoy electorate out there. And, um, you know, the beards and all kind of lead to that. I mean, um, does this signal to you that we are at a very, I don't know if I would say dangerous, but a very um, combative electorate out there? Yeah, I mean, I would say it's Hatefield and McCoy because – these guys, whether or not they were serious, whether they're actually going to pull it off, do not like the governor, don't trust government. One of them doesn't even like Trump, and you'd think wow. these would be Trumpers. Yes. This, is, this, is the, this is the kind of crew that doesn't trust government at all. Um, although I'm sure they've probably pulled a few welfare checks in their day, but we'll just move on from that. But 
but this is these are the the people who feel disenfranchised. These are the people who feel like government does not serve a purpose, that it's standing on their neck. Uh, one of the guys uh, received a, a, a moving violation, and according to the feds, again, these are all just allegations at this point. But he's like, you know, I want to get these cops. You know, they're pulling me over, infringing on my right to, you know. I mean, these are some very, very angry people. And I think a lot of this anger uh, drove Trump's victory. I think a lot of it is uh, is still out there. And depending on what happens on Tuesday, we may see more of these folks popping up because if Trump loses, I think they're going to feel like, well, that was our guy. Uh, they stole the election from him. Uh, we're right. done. You know, we couldn't drain yes. the swamp. We couldn't turn things the way we wanted to. So now it's just time for us to straight up take it into our own hands. I don't think there's a lot of people out there, but all you got to do is run into one of them to have a bad day. That's exactly right. And um, you, you've been trying to track these guys down and you've had some difficulty. I mean, they did a pretty good job of hiding. Yeah. Well, they move around a lot. You know, these, these are folks who, who, um, you know, bounce around. Um, and, and when you do find somebody who's related to them, you know, the minute they see that press card, they don't want to talk to you. In fact, I, I talked to uh, his grandfather. This is the ringleader who's one of the guys I've been investigating, a fellow by the name of Adam Fox, um, the supposed ringleader. Uh, and his grandfather, first thing he says to me is, you know, Trump's right about you guys. I'm like, well, <laughs> so I know this is going to be a tough conversation. Um, but but my partner and I did send the Democratic mayor of Detroit to prison for 28 years. So I tried to yes. mention that, that we're, we're somewhat equal opportunity troublemakers. Right. And his That's whole right. thing was, that wasn't you, that was law enforcement. That was this right. and that and the other thing. Right. So you, you just right. can't right. win. And and the way I left that conversation as I was being ordered off the porch was, you know, this is your chance to say something really nice about your relative and you are refusing to do so. Yeah. And and I said, you know, and you're going to have to live with that. And he just said, I was a pile of crap. And, and then we went our separate ways. Well, that's kind of interesting because, um, you know, he had his chance to do that. And I think that um, that was that was kind of going above and beyond for you to, to even give him that chance, because I think most reporters would have been like, yeah, all right, buddy, I get it. You know, you're not coming see you later. But, um, you know, it's interesting too, because people criticize Trump and I know I shouldn't laugh, but I crack up when he has the nicknames for people. And I, I remember walking through our lobby and seeing the TV and just doubling over the day he called North Korean dictator, Kim Jong-un rocket man. I just thought that was hilarious. And he was after your governor Whitmer, uh, because she gave a scathing democratic response to his State of the Union, um, which caused him to dub, dub her Governor Witless. <laughs> I thought that was that was uh, that was amazing. But does that fuel these kind of guys? Sure, and he's also referred to her as that woman from Michigan. Um, and I, I think you know I, I don't know whether President Trump realizes this, but it's one of the things that makes the presidency such. An amazing thing is, you know, stock markets rise and fall based on what the president says. Now, the stock market, since Trump has been in there, it doesn't react to things the way it, it, it used to. I mean, every, you know, our, our compass needs to be recalibrated over the, after the last three or four years. But, but this does inspire people to take action, even if it's just, you know, to start yelling or, but what the president says ends up on signs out front of our Capitol when people are protesting. And certainly Governor Whitmer feels that the rhetoric has inspired these people to put her 
and her family in jeopardy. And she's, she's said as much. I think she just said it again on meet the press, uh, last weekend, but it's, you know, when you have the most powerful human being on the face of the earth saying somebody should do something about you, there's gotta be one or two of the 6 billion people roaming around who say, okay, uh, you're looking for volunteers. I'm a volunteer. (laughs) That that would make me very um, uncomfortable. Well, and it's also a scary thing. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm 59 and I have, I was young when the 68 and all that happened, but this is the first time, you know, I've seen it get this vicious and, um, it is scary because we don't know what's going to happen once this election's over. And, you know, some people say, Hey, we're going to have riots in the streets. And, you know, I think our democracy is going to be tested and, um, the rules about the peaceful transition and all that is going to be tested. John Lennon was killed by a guy who loved John Lennon. Okay. I mean, so if somebody who you love says somebody's got to do something about somebody you hate, it stands to reason that, that, you know, some, some little pea brain is going to get stimulated by that. And it's, it's, it's not cool. Yeah. The most recent polls show uh, Democratic former Vice President Joe Biden holding anywhere from a two to five percent lead over Trump in Michigan. And we only have a few days left. Trump won Michigan by 11,000 votes in 2016. That was his slimmest margin in the nation. But it was a victory that was obviously critical to him becoming president. We have kind of figured that if Trump loses Florida, which he's now behind, um, and uh, Biden would only need to pick up either Michigan, Wisconsin, or Pennsylvania to really warm. What are you seeing and feeling in Michigan right now? There's a there's a there's a a belief that this year is different than last year. I mean, I can just tell you from my own neighborhood, and I live in the city of Detroit. I see people actively uh, canvassing which, you know, it's a pandemic, you know, so you're knocking on people's door. Nobody wants you knocking on their door. Nobody wants to be walking about with folks. I see Biden signs out. I see this neighborhood and other parts of the city energized and active in a way they weren't for Hillary Clinton. I don't think she excited anybody, friend or foe. Uh, I don't know that Biden gets hearts fluttering at all in Detroit, but there are a lot of people in Detroit who feel like Trump has been bad news for people who don't look like you and me and who want him out of there. And I see more people taking an active role in trying to elect a Democrat in 2020 than I did in 2016. And of course, uh, COVID-19 has hurt uh, minorities, uh, Latinx, uh, black folks, more than it has white people. So the notion that there's somebody who could have prevented this spread, who could have prevented these deaths, you know, for some folks, it's just a notion, but for a lot of people in Detroit, there's, there's people they know and love who've died because of this. And if they hold somebody responsible, you know, they're going to get some payback on November 3rd. Right. And um, I've called it kind of a light switch vote because uh, the Democrats could have put up Barney Rubble. I mean, it, it was it was just this is a referendum on Trump. And of course, Detroit is the motor city, the heart of America's uh, car ma- manufacturing and the great history. And I would assume many of those workers supported Trump four years ago. Where does that voting block stand right now? Yeah, it's it's um, it's interesting in Michigan because we have Macomb County, which is sort of the birthplace of the Reagan Democrats. At least that's that's the way uh, it's been referred to for 30 years or so. 
And as a bellwether county where Democrats who may be uh, more religious, uh, more anti-abortion, more conservative would cross over instead of hitting that straight ticket, to, you know, the, the, the shop steward says we got to vote for, you know, candidate X, they'll split their ticket or they'll go Republican. So so union union votes are not as monolithic as they used to be. But um, but I, I, I do think in Michigan, you are going to see more uh, more Democratic votes out of the UAW, out of the Teamsters, out of other places. than you may have in the past um, because, you know, there's a feeling that that he's that Trump is not uh, hasn't delivered on some of these things he said he he would for people in in the unions and uh, and I, I I guess maybe the coal guys are still sticking with him but uh, if it were me I'd say coal guys we're gonna get you a job putting up some some solar panels because that's the future just digging stuff out of the ground with with all right. you know all due right. respect to our our friends up in uh, in Jim Thorpe Pennsylvania but that anthracite yes. ain't yes. the future. <laughs> yes, we spent some nights up there. Eighty percent of Detroit voters are black, which I would think bodes well for Biden. I know you have been out there on the streets covering the protests and the backlash from the spring killing of unarmed African-American George Floyd at the hands of a white Minneapolis police officer. What impact is that having on the race in Michigan? It's, it's funny when you see the mobilization of people black and white for these Black Lives Matter protests. They're marching. They're active. They hate Trump, hate Trump. They right. do not love Biden. And you actually hear some of the speakers, they do like an open mic night before they start marching where every, anybody who has something to say can get up there. It's, it's sort of like cannons without uh, Jerry on the sixth string. But, uh, but they they hate Biden too. And there there's, you hear people saying we, the Democrats have got to do something to earn our votes. They think that they're going to get these by default, but we want to see something. And the fact that Biden has not embraced defunding police, the fact that Kamala Harris was a former prosecutor. Um, you know, I don't know how many of these BLM votes translate into votes for Biden. They're certainly not going to vote for Trump, but they were never going to vote for for Trump and and just today, we uh, we met with the Detroit City Clerk and her, her uh, elections experts, and they think turnout in Detroit is going to be fifty percent, which mm. would be less than it was in two thousand eight and twenty twelve when it was fifty three percent and fifty one percent. Of course, people came out to vote for Obama, but mm. to think that everybody is voting more than they normally do that we're seeing mm. this 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 flood of absentee votes and stuff like mm. that, and Detroit may. They're expecting only a 50% voter participation. Hmm. That, hmm. that makes me wonder whether that this is, whether there's going to be, a, you know, whether, whether, I mean, Hillary Clinton lost the presidency because Detroiters didn't come out and vote for her. Wow. Wow. And um, how about this whole mail-in ballot situation? Of course, the president was on a debate saying, hey, I'm not going to go quietly. We're going to challenge this. We're going to look for fraud. We're going to check the mail-in ballots. And what's the system in Michigan? How does it work there? Well, we, we have uh, no extension of the, uh, of the vote. So unlike, um, I believe, Pennsylvania, maybe North Carolina, a couple other places where if the vote is postmarked on election day, they have a couple of days or a couple of weeks to count them. Here in Michigan, they tried to do that and it didn't. It got knocked out. If if your vote is not in the clerk's hands by 8 p.m. on Tuesday, November 3rd, 
it doesn't count. So what they've been mm-hmm. doing is they've been checking to see if some of these, uh, these ballots, um, you know, if they're, if they're messed up, they're trying to get back to the voters and saying, you spoiled your ballot. You didn't sign this mm-hmm. or that, you know, yeah. you got to get yeah. back, but they can't even start counting these votes until wow. 7am on election day. The, wow. the biggest progress we've had is they can open the envelopes 24 hours early to speed right. up the processing. But, you know, it, it, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so we really um, most likely won't know a definitive winner unless Biden blows them out and those, those votes are going to not make a difference, but we probably won't have a definitive winner until the end of that week. Do you think? Well, the clerk in Detroit, which typically is the last one to clock in, they're saying they expect to have all the votes counted by Wednesday. Um, wow. I don't know that I would take that wager unless somebody gave me some pretty good odds. But mm-hmm. if that's the case, you know, we'll see. But but as you rightly point out, you know, there are some places where where they're not going to call it unless it's so far ahead for Biden that all the votes that could be counted over the next two weeks wouldn't make a difference and right. when was the last time we saw an election like that? I was at a union hall in Macomb County in in uh, in uh, 2000, uh, 2000 when they called Florida for Gore really early. And I thought this is going to be easy night. Yes. Five in the morning. I'm watching Dan rather <laughs> still coming up with crazy like in Texas when they say it's closer than a, than a tick and a hog. You know, I mean, he was he was running out of analogies before, uh, you know, before breakfast and, and Gore had conceded and taken it back. And, you know, uh, yes, yes. Took yes, us another was, two uh, months before the Supreme Court elected the president. Yeah. Do you see this getting to the Supreme Court at all? You know, I fr- from well, I mean, on your show. You know, the the talking about how much better the vote counting is in Florida. I, I suspect it won't come down to that. Um, I think the real issue is going to be um, Biden's either going to really roll with this in a big way or a bigly way, as maybe the president would say. Yes. Or uh, or Trump's going to Trump's going to do it maybe by a whisker. But if he does it by a whisker, I don't think he's going to take the Supreme Court. I think he's got that locked up. Yeah, sure. Yeah, well, six three now. You know, as 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 a result of last week's confirmation. On an off topic, I wanted to get your thoughts on the recent uh, revelation that the uh, writer who called himself anonymous in uh, the very critical opinion piece in the New York Times on Trump was a former national security official who also wrote an equally critical Trump book under the alias. And I remembered being very troubled that the Times would have run an opinion piece by an anonymous contributor. And I remember them writing why they did it and all that stuff. And and uh, you won the Pulitzer Prize for exposing uh, then Detroit Mayor Kwame Kilpatrick, who some predicted would end up in the White House one day, but instead was sentenced to 28 years in federal prison for turning City Hall into a vast criminal enterprise, which contributed to Detroit becoming the largest city in U.S. history, filed for bankruptcy. So I thought this news about this revelation anonymous really um, hurt the credibility of the media. And of course, I enjoy the Times and have a lot of friends who work there who I respect, um, amazing reporters and writers. But, um, you know, this, does this give credence to the Trump claim that, you know, from the beginning of his term that the American media is biased toward him and out to get him? Well, you know, first, uh, Kwame Kilpatrick, we thought would be living in a large federal facility in Washington. Uh, we thought it would be maybe the White House or the vice president's mansion. 
he is living in a large federal facility, but now it's Louisiana and, and they, they, they pick his clothes for him and tell him when he can eat. But, uh, so we, we kind of were right. We're like the pollsters, I guess we were within the margin of error. Right. So, so, so much for that. But, uh, you know, my, my thing is, I think everywhere you and I have worked, there's a policy that says if you're going to criticize somebody, you can't be anonymous. You know, if you want right. to provide us records or if you want to provide us documents or things like that, that's okay. But this is the old, you know, don't, don't throw a stone and hide your hands. I, I was concerned when that was published. I, I think, I think my biggest problem with it was, and I don't know the answer to this, but if they allowed him to be anonymous after he had left the government, um, that's not, I got a problem with that because if you're doing that to protect somebody who was on the inside trying to leak information, I guess you can make a case for that. It didn't really feel to me like there was a shortage of people saying that Trump was kind of screwed up. So I don't know why yes, this guy was exactly. so special. Exactly. Um, but now we're finding out he hasn't been with the federal government for a while. So, um, so, you know, I mean, one of the things that when my partner Jim Schaefer and I were writing stories about Mayor Kwame Kilpatrick and people were reluctant to come forward, we would tell them we're selling A1 insurance. And they're like, what's that? I said, well, you say what you got to say on A1 of the Detroit Free Press and somebody comes after you, you know, we're going to write that story too. And you're going to be a whistleblower and you're going to win your lawsuit and people are going to know what the real deal is. And that was pretty persuasive to a lot of folks who came forward, including some of the mayor's bodyguards who went on the records about wow. some of the, the stuff they saw. Wow. So to me, I think the New York Times should have tried a little harder to sell some A1 insurance to this guy. But uh, but I love the Times, too, and the Post, and, and, and I think the mainstream media still serves a very valuable function and does, does wonderful work. But um, I, do, I do have to say the opinion section at the New York Times, when people say the New York Times is biased, I think it's because when you pick up the Sunday Review for a long time, every single column in there was Trump sucks. And even right. the conservative guys are like, I'm conservative, and I believe in this, and I believe in that, P.S. Trump sucks. <laughs> and, and so, so I, I kind of think they need to, they need to sweeten that mix a little bit more. Right. But, right. but we used to run into this with Kilpatrick all the time. Uh, people would say, why are you writing so many negative stories about this guy? Are you out to get him? Well, frankly, the reason we wrote so many negative stories is because the guy had done so many bad things and right. like Trump never asked for a correction. So we got to presume they're all true. So right. the problem is we got somebody who's not a good guy or a guy who's doing bad things not that the media is out to get them. You know, we follow the trail where it leads. And if it's a long and winding road, we're going to be on one hell of a journey. But right. don't blame us because we didn't lay the asphalt. Right. But we know which ass's fault it is that we're writing all those stories. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And um, so I'm going to put you on the spot as I've done with our other reporters in the drum roll. What do you think is going to happen to Michigan? Man, I'll tell you what, I, I, I think because it was so close last time and just based on the level of activity that I've seen in Detroit and the energy, I do not think Donald Trump wins Michigan by 10,000 votes. I do think Joe Biden takes Michigan. Uh, but I am concerned that the city clerk thinks only 50% of Detroit voters are going to come out. Now, I think she said in 2016, only 48% came out. So if you get three more percent, that's more than the 10,000 votes you need. But I think the one thing that concerns all of us is do the people who say they're not voting for Trump, is that their guilty little secret that they really are voting for Trump? And are there some people who didn't vote for him last time who uh, like what they've seen, who now vote for him? 
Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know, but I, I'll stick my neck out there. I'll, I'll say, I'll say Biden will carry Michigan. So that's interesting what you say about, you know, people telling you who they're voting for and whether they do. I remember Jake Tapper was in Philly for the Republican convention back in 2016, and he was being interviewed and he said, there's a lot of lean in voters. And somebody said, what's a lean in voter? He said, well, I was in a South Philly butcher shop and getting some meat. And the guy said, yeah, I'm a leaner. And he said, well, what's a lean? He said, I'm a person that leans in and says, I'm voting for Trump. So we're going to have that one way or the other. I mean, either people are going to say, you know, I'm voting for him, but I'm not. And then, you know, that kind of thing. So you're right. You just don't know until Election Day, as always, um, you know, what's going to happen. That's what makes uh, that's what makes democracy in America exciting, no doubt. And you and I get to be on the front row. Oh, yeah. No, I'm I'm going to try and get my sleep Monday night because I'm going to be going all night Tuesday, I'm sure. But but I will tell you. you know, people criticize the pollsters for 2016. The race was within the margin of error. People forget about that. And I think uh, the pollsters would have to be off by 20 points to misjudge the female vote. I think women are going to bury Trump if anybody finishes him off. And they can be off by 10 or 20 points. And women still overwhelmingly go for Biden. So uh, I just think that um, I just think that uh, things are firming up. And, um, at this point you're either voting for who you said you're going to vote for. You just don't make up your mind and you just don't vote. You just say a pox on both their house and you stay home. In which case those undecideds just become null. Yeah, they do. And they don't count. And, and that's, uh, that's a sad thing. It's just sad to say only half the people who have the ability to vote on the leader of this country are not going to do it. So, uh, thank you for being on, my friend. Uh, always, um, always great to catch up with you. And please, everybody, check out Mike's podcast, ML's Soul of Detroit, wherever quality podcasts are found. And you could check his book out, The Kwame Sutra, Miss, uh, Musings on Lust, Life, and Leadership from Detroit Mayor Kwame Kilpatrick, which is available on Amazon and www.drewandmikestore.com. You can follow Mike on ML Elric on on Facebook and on Twitter at Elric, E-L-R-I-C-K, and on Instagram at ML underscore Elric. Thank you, my friend. Great analysis. Jay, I'm proud to have written the second best book by the two guys on this podcast today. So so, uh, I love your book, man. I read it, and and I feel like I'm transported in time, and I'm a little wistful because I remember when we had all the reporters we needed to do the job, but I'm grateful to still have an opportunity to do this job. And I'm grateful that you're still out there showing people away, telling people the way it is and trying to tell folks, just be reasonable, man. Just, just, just stop and think and, and uh, let's respect each other. I, I, you, you taught me a lot, my friend, and I'm still learning. All right. Thank you, pal. Thanks again. I appreciate it. And I want to thank our producer, Mike Gugat and our technical director, the wizard of pods, Brad, maybe. And please check out my new book available on Amazon, The Front Row, My Jagged Journey Recording American History from Reagan to Trump. We will be back next week with another edition of the Retail Politics Podcast. Until then, always remember to read beyond the headlines. Have a good week.